Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by co-host Joe Wolfon. What up? Uh, the other co-host, Jessica Sharo, is uh, not with us this week, unfortunately. He's in Vegas covering all the drama that uh, is otherwise just, you know, a little playful scrimmage. But um, we can start there. We can start there. The number one drama right now in the NBA is DeMar DeRozan is upset. Still upset. Uh <laughs> Saying that, quote, he has no need for a relationship with Masai Ujiri, the Toronto Raptors president that pulled the trigger on trading him for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, over a week ago, DeMar sort of has maintained repeatedly, um, you know, throughout uh, you know, when he was traded. He put out some Instagram comments basically saying he was lied to. Then when Masai offered an apology at, you know, um, a press conference like two days later, DeMar kind of refuted that too on Instagram. Then he went on SportsCenter and gave a 25-minute hit about how he's you know still upset. And again, he's at Vegas. He's still upset. He's skipping um, the NBA Africa game that's coming up uh, in about a week and a half um, in Pretoria in South Africa. He's upset about that. He's not going anymore. He was going to be the headliner. But since that's Masai's event, he's out of that. Joe... This is just so messy, man. It doesn't have to be this messy, but it is, right? Yeah, it's tough to say. Like, DeMar keeps getting asked about this stuff, you know, so he keeps having to speak on it. And I feel like that makes it seem like he's just kind of holding on to this and harping on it over and over again. When in reality, it's probably somewhere in the middle. You know, obviously, he's still hurt and still upset about it. But at the same time, um, you know, the question keeps getting put to him. And what's he going to say? Like, he he's still obviously very raw and that's probably not going to change anytime soon if ever um and i think look at a certain point we've talked about this we've talked it to death and i think we both agree that Masai made a very good basketball trade and that he probably could have handled the human side of things a little bit better Mm -hmm. not knowing all the ins and outs or what was said and how that situation was really dealt with it's impossible for us to say but given you know the way this is not the first time this has happened and and Dwayne Casey I think had a pretty similar reaction to the situation um and and the fallout from his firing the fact that he was kind of made to go out and answer to the media a day before he got canned look I I have a lot of respect for Masai Ujiri you know the work he does as a basketball executive and also as a philanthropist um and and just an advocate for basketball without borders like you know he he's done fantastic things uh on and off the court but like i think look at a certain point he might have to look at this and and figure out a way to go about handling these situations a little bit better because you know if if you see a pattern developing and um you have people that have been a part of your organization saying some of the same things then it might be cause for some self-assessment yeah, and look, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about sort of the DeMar situation and sort of how the Raptors have handled it. In the second half of the podcast, we have a special guest uh, for that. Oh, I won't tease it now, but uh, you can, you know, obviously listen to the second half. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, I guess the question is, like, how do you think this all went down? Because the way Masai's describing it is, you know, they were in the talks for Kawhi, but they didn't think they were going to get him. Right. It seemed like Boston, Philadelphia, the Lakers, like those guys are going to have better packages. And I think we've all said that on this podcast, right? When we've talked about this Kawhi thing, we've, we've said like the Raptors, yeah, they're in the mix, I guess. But like, you know, they don't have the same kind of assets. 
However, they did have a more immediate asset in, in DeMar, and once the Spurs kind of turned around and said, okay, we'll take DeMar, then it seemed like talks really started to ex- uh, accelerate. And at that point, who knows whether or not they made it, you know, um, they reached out to DeMar or whatever, and maybe they should have. But, I mean, in that situation, like, from the Raptors' side, do you think the Raptors kept DeMar in the dark um, because they were afraid to leak? Because this is a, such a notoriously... Um, guarded organization in terms of uh, reporting stuff? It's possible. I mean, it's possible that it all just happened so quickly that they didn't really have an opportunity to tell him. Um, that's That part is kind of hard for me to figure just because the rumors had really started to ramp up a few days beforehand. And it's hard for me to believe that there was nothing there and then suddenly the trade came together overnight because we'd been hearing stuff about this trade being in the works for a while. Um it's possible that they were worried, you know, if DeMar found out about it ahead of time and was disgruntled or upset about it, that he might have done something to try and scuttle the trade. And that, you know, in the same way that uh, Kawhi's people seemingly tried to scuttle it by leaking to the media that he had no interest in playing in right. Toronto. Or even Lonzo's camp being like, hey, oh, I'm in trade talks? Well, oh. I, I got to have a knee surgery. That's like, right. So yeah. that that's the kind of stuff that can happen. And I think... You know, that that to me is more realistic, that they saw that as too great a risk. Mm-hmm. And them being that close to acquiring, you know, potentially the best player who's ever put on a Raptors uniform, you don't want to add any other kind of risk into that mix, you know, when it's such a volatile situation and, and any little thing can seemingly scuttle a trade. So that seems like probably what happened. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to be enough to assuage DeMar. Uh, given what he, he gave to the organization over nine years, I don't feel like he's going to feel that that's a, a good enough excuse. I don't think anything that anybody says at this point is going to change his mind about what went down and how he was wronged. So at this point, I think, you know, everybody's just got to move on. DeMar has said his piece. Masai has said his piece. Uh, DeMar is going to be honored, I'm sure, you know, to the full extent when he comes back to Toronto. And... You know, that's just what it is. And DeMar, to his credit, has said, you know, he, he holds nothing against the organization as a whole, the fan base. He's always going to have love for, for the city. Um, and it's just really with Masai that he has beef. So, look, it's done. Um, and I think for all parties involved, like, just moving forward is the best thing. Well, do you think it can move forward as the best thing, right? Because it feels like this is one of the things that the drama is going to be, extended, like, just dragged out. And I think, especially with Kawhi, because he's so quiet, like, you're so it's so easy to fill in the silence with whatever reporting or whatever you want to characterize them as, right? Like, all of a sudden, like, you know, reports come out that, oh, man, Kawhi was really upset because that All-Star game in 2016 in Toronto, like, he had to take the bus while, you know, (laughs) Russell Westbrook was just jetting off in, like, a Bugatti or something. Um, But then it doesn't really make sense because when you think about it, like, you know, Kawhi is also the guy that drove his, like, college car, this, like, Chevy Tahoe, those, like, beat-up car, um, for th- four years before it basically broke down and then he had to finally get a new one. Like, it doesn't really make sense fully in terms of the reporting and what what he actually comes across as. But, I mean, it just strikes to me that, like, it's going to go on all season. But I think the one thing that gets lost a little bit is, like, it's a little bit easier to talk about the feelings. And I think DeMar is, like, completely justified in, you know, talking about the feelings, especially when he's asked. But, I mean, at the same time, it's kind of, like, distracting from, like, the idea that, like, this is a basketball team and this is a basketball decision. And, like, yes, it has personal consequences. They could have handled that better on the Raptors' side. But just from a strictly basketball decisions perspective, it kind of seems like DeMar is kind of, like, just brushing it off. Like, you know, even when he was asked by Chris Haynes uh, about sort of, um, you know, Messiah's comments, Messiah, you know, it was kind of in his press conference said, 
well, look, you know, uh, we've been doing the same thing over and over again. And at some point you got to, you know, I've given them chances and you just got to move on. And DeMar kind of took that, you know, poorly, just like Dwayne Casey took it poorly, right? Because, you know, they were like, what do you mean? Is it our fault? And it's like, yeah, I mean, you have to swallow some of that responsibility. You can't just be the number one guy when it comes to, you know, showing love for the franchise and everything like that. But then, like, when it comes to basketball results, and I think we're forgetting this, DeMar was minus 74 in 130 minutes in the Cavs series, and he got kicked out of game. I don't think we're forgetting that. <laughs> and he got, no, I think it's getting, I think it's getting forgotten because it's, it's, the conversation is no longer about his performance or about basketball. It's It's becoming about feelings, and it's like, Man, at the end of the day, like that's what happened. Like J.R. Smith shot seventy-seven percent from three. You were getting guarded in isolation, and J.R. Smith looked better than you. Like these are these are the these are the reasons basketball-wise that led to this thing. So, I mean, obviously it's a cruel business, man. It's it's really unfortunate, but I just think that part's being forgotten a little bit. Um, well, I also think, look, you know, he came out and said like Masai's talking about them. Like I gave them so many chances, and he's upset because at the end of the day, he felt like him and. Dwayne were the only two people who ended up having to wear that disappointment. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Like, yeah. you know, obviously Masai wasn't going to trade the entire team and blow the whole thing up. Like, you know, the fact that DeMar was the centerpiece of a Kawhi Leonard trade is really a tribute to him, right? You know, yeah. the fact that he was good enough to be the centerpiece of a trade, you know, involving a, a perennial MVP candidate. Um, you know, for Casey, it's a little bit different because he just straight up lost his job. You know, DeRozan wasn't just shipped out of town like he he got sent out in a superstar trade um that that only really he could have been a part of i think from the raptors side right the trade wouldn't have worked with without him in it so um you know i don't know if people want to talk to Jakob pertle about this and find out how he feels about getting shipped out of town and and whether he feels like he feels like he's getting the blame for for that series against the Cavs. but um obviously for demar having been there as long as he was it was it was harder for him to deal with but i think taking that tack kind of misses the point yeah for sure uh moving on to the other basketball news kevin love got an extension four years 120 million uh you wrote a piece about this saying how this kind of locks the cavaliers into mediocrity and my question to you is if you're cleveland wouldn't you have mediocrity instead of um you know what they had last time when lebron left because when lebron left that team went from a 60 win team to like a 20 win team and if it wasn't for them winning three number one picks in four years, and honestly botching two of those, um, you know, they would they would still be a wasteland. So yeah, I mean that's where I kind of landed on it. I think, and I don't know if it's necessarily the move that I would have made, but I think it's totally understandable. And you said it like during that four years, they won the lottery three times, and if LeBron doesn't come back, I don't know that they're necessarily moving in a direction that is putting them, you know, in like a, a, a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. You know, that rebuild isn't necessarily bearing a ton of fruit because one of those draft picks was Anthony Bennett and another one was Andrew Wiggins. And if they had both of those guys on the roster right now, and who knows what's going on with Kyrie, if, if LeBron doesn't come back, maybe he's still there, maybe he still wants out. Whatever the case, um, you know, you're certainly never guaranteed of anything when you bought him out. And given how miserable that was, I mean, the Cavs had a 26-game losing streak at one point during those years, uh, they never won more than 33 games. It was tough times, and, and in a market like Cleveland, um, that's you know going to be difficult to to draw free agents to. Regardless, um, having some stability and some structure there, I think, could really be a benefit. And um, you know, yeah, they they're kind of locking themselves into purgatory, I think, but that is better than being in hell. So. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and look, I, I, I have a different opinion about this than a lot of people who have heard talking about it. I think some people think that Kevin Love is going to be easier to trade on the contract that they just gave him. I don't necessarily agree with that in a league where uh, every team seems to be valuing flexibility and giving out short-term deals, especially given that you know Kevin Love's about to turn 30. I don't know that him being locked into five years now and a total of $145 million is going to make him a more attractive trade asset. But that said, they've probably been exploring trade options for him. And if nothing was coming back, then maybe they figured, you know, giving him a long-term deal might make it easier down the road. I'm just, I'm just not sure how that's going to go, especially given how the Blake Griffin trade played out and how bad that looks for Detroit right now. Yeah. You know, at least my argument would be, like, at least Kevin Love is a shooter um, in a way that, like, if you're worried about Blake, it's mostly because you're worried that most of his effectiveness stems from his, like, otherworldly athleticism. And if he ages, like, there's there's not going to be as much left, even though he is a pretty good ball handler and a developing shooter as well. But, like, Kevin Love's legitimately a great shooter, right? And he's going to still be the rebound. He's not playing above the rim. There's, I mean, I'm just a little bit surprised it costs this much for them to get it done. Like, if they can get it, if they had this done at a shorter not even a shorter contract, but just at a lower figure, like it probably would have improved their like odds of flipping him later down the line. Cause you figure like, he's probably not going to finish out this whole contract there. But I mean, at the same time, it's like, I think it's good for the development of Colin Sexton too. Right. Because you have a guy who is a veteran guy who, you know, can carry the offense, you know, obviously a rookie point guard is going to be up and down offensively, but you know, with a guy who's a slasher like Colin, like you want a guy who can, you know, be a pick and pop thread and stretch the floor for him. And, you know, at least just like set good screens and everything like that. Like it, it's it's there's benefits beyond that, right? And I think this speaks to like team building. Like it's, it's not black and white when it comes to team building. It's not either you're doing the, the Sixers thing or the, or you're doing I don't know the Lakers thing. I guess is like opening up a bunch of cap room. But like, well, the other the other side of this too is you know if Kevin Love is healthy this year, like we can talk about his injury history too, which is a little bit scary. But if he's healthy and plays well this year, you know that makes it less likely that the Cavs hold on to their draft pick. Um, so there's that to consider. But the other thing, like I think those are all really good points. And definitely for Sexton, having a good pick-and-pop big man to play with could be really valuable. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they had to extend him or that they had to extend him at that price point, right? Like if they played out this year to see how those two guys gelled, to see how Love looked as an offensive fulcrum again, you know, something he does, hasn't done um, since his last year in Minnesota four years ago. Um, and, and, like, if he was willing to sign on for an additional four years, like, would ha- would waiting until next summer have made that much of a difference? You know, if he was willing to sign on for four more years now, would not extending him have really, you know, broken that bond and, and convinced him to go elsewhere when he became an unrestricted free agent? Or... You know, would they have just been able to kind of assess the market for him next summer and maybe sign him to a more cost-efficient deal? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, right? I don't envision Kevin Love getting more than this money anyway, right? But I think part of it is also just, like, if you're Cleveland, I just think that, like, they're so... Like, you saw with the way they handled the trade deadline, right? They kept, like, making these moves, but they're like, but they're both good for now and for the future when LeBron may or may not leave, a.k.a. he will leave. Right. So... I think they're so conscious of that transition and they just don't want that scenario. And you know how prideful, you know, Dan Gilbert is, right? I think they really want to keep being, they want the team to be invested. They want being to be cohesive. And if you give Kevin Love this money now, at least it sort of keeps him, not that he's going to be a malcontent, but it keeps him as motivated as possible during this year, which is probably going to be the best year of that contract. And 
They got to satisfy those fans who they yeah. forced to lock into three years of season tickets. <laughs> They're like, yo, what are we doing? We're still we're here watching Kyle Korver, who might get traded. Like, I don't know. But um, I, I don't know. Do you think this keeps Cleveland in the, the playoff race? I do only because I, I think the top seven teams are pretty well locked in. It's the um, same seven from last year. Yeah. Minus Cleveland. Exactly. So... I think, you know, if you if you start talking about the teams who could grab that last playoff spot, you've got Detroit, Charlotte, maybe Brooklyn, maybe Chicago. Like it's, When you talk about maybe Brooklyn, that's crazy. That's what I'm saying. It's a pretty uninspiring yeah. list of teams vying for that spot. I would personally pick Detroit just because I think, you know, Dwayne Casey has proved himself to be an excellent regular season coach. Right. I think as far as raw talent goes, they probably have more than any of the other teams vying for that spot. They and just don't have any wings, though. They like, don't have any wings. Or point guards. The, like The roster know. is mismatched and the fit isn't great, but uh, I actually believe in Andre Drummond. I think he's a really good player. and. True. Uh, I feel like you know they can start to figure some things out with the full off season together. Him and him and Blake. Um, That's it, true. It's not ideal, but but I do think it can work. And if Reggie Jackson's healthy for the whole season, then I definitely think they'll be good enough to snag that last playoff spot. But I feel like Cleveland is sort of in that mix, at least uh, you know with Charlotte and I don't know. People are talking about Chicago as a potential playoff team. I don't really see it. Yeah. So look, I think you know to the point that being in the hunt for the eighth playoff seed until the last couple weeks of the season makes a team relevant, I think that they will be relevant, at least more so than they would be, obviously, if they'd flipped uh, Kevin Love for for draft assets. But um, I I don't think they're going to be especially good. Uh, I mean, even with LeBron playing every single game last year and leading the NBA in minutes, they were, if you look at their peripherals, they were not a very good team. Um, so without all that production and all those minutes that LeBron logged last year, um, it's hard for me to see them being much more than like a 35-36 win team. But uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how Colin Sexton looks. We'll see if Kevin Love can rediscover his his Timberwolves self. Oh, yeah. Minnesota Love, baby. <laughs> Remember when they weren't making the playoffs with Minnesota Love? <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> you so bad in the clutch. Though, those teams weren't especially good either, nope. but... Um, he was good though, but he was yeah. good, and he his last year there he he dragged that team to forty wins basically. That's but true. He was also playing with Ricky Rubio, who was better, I think, than any other complimentary piece on the Cavs right now. Don't so. forget Nikola Pekovic and Andre Karolenko. I, I I really like watching those. I just really have an affinity for Rick Adelman teams. I, I wish he was still coaching, but yeah. obviously he's he's um you know he's got you know, bigger things to deal with right now. Um, moving on, Carmelo Anthony, baby, Carmelo Anthony, um. So this is this speaks to a piece that I wrote for the score, you know, shameless plug here. But I, I wrote about how the Rockets are going to are basically Carmelo's last chance to salvage his reputation as a selfish player but that doesn't really win. And like, I know that sounds like an insult, but like, come on, when you look at Melo's like career at large, like that's really going to be the thing where you 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 ask yourself, he's such a prodigal scorer. If you just watch game tape of him, you're like, wow, this player must be a top five player. And honestly, he's probably been a top five scorer for at least 10 seasons in the league. But the accolades just haven't been there, right? You compare him to someone like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, even before the Warriors move, had way more success than Carmelo did, right? And I think a lot of that tracks down to Carmelo sort of being selfish, like trying to play the game his own way, forcing his way to New York. You know, New York obviously throwing up all the assets to basically gut the team to get him. Then it didn't work with him and Jeremy Lin because he got really, you know, uh, protective of the, the fact that Lin was taking over New York temporarily for like you know, two months. And, um, you know, it's just kind of kind of gone downhill from there. And then when he went to OKC, it was like, wow, you know, there's this thought that, hey, 
Olympic Melo is going to be there. He's going to be a great third option. His efficiency is going to go up, and it's actually the opposite. Efficiency goes down. He's scoring the least of his career, um, and you know he gets bought out or he gets traded and then bought out. And so now you figure like now that he's going to land in Houston, another opportunity to do what he did last year in OKC with a better supporting cast, but. You would think that he would have to humble himself a little bit. However, Melo said, quote, only I know when it's best for me, quote, to come off the bench. And um, I don't know. That sounds a lot like last year when uh, he laughed off the reporter and said, hey, P, they want me to come off the bench. And P was probably saying, you know, this summer that, hey, P, we, hey, Melo, we want you to get off the team. It's also just, it's also just wrong. Like, you know. As a general rule, we as people, I don't think, are as good at sort of uh, assessing ourselves as right. other people are. You know, like it's it's hard to look at ourselves and, and give a clear-eyed self-assessment. Like our our you know biases uh, are colored by you know any number of personal experiences. And our I think egos. That's right. There's a lot of ego involved, here. and and you know I think any of us can relate to that. It's hard to step outside yourself uh, and give a self-evaluation. You know, it, it's hard. It's hard to come to grips with with your own limits, and you know your own uh, your own body, basically. Uh, you know, because ultimately our bodies all betray us at the end of the day, and that is a very hard reality to grapple with. And for somebody who has achieved the kind of NBA success that Carmelo has, I can understand why you know he would feel like he can keep doing this as long as he feels like he's able. But the fact is, he's he's not anymore and yeah. and and I think I've said this many times before I think he can still be a really effective player mm-hmm. he just has to be willing to accept his present physical reality and accept his limitations at this point in time and be willing to to sacrifice his ego be willing to come off the bench be willing to play 20 minutes a game and and not dominate the ball like right he's got a he's got a transition the way Paul Pierce did Paul Pierce had a graceful transition for like two three years like that when he took brooklyn to the playoffs and beat toronto and then when he took the <laughs> washington to the to the playoffs and right. swept toronto and quite honestly almost beat that 60 win hawks team like that was great and he just came out he, he didn't really come off the bench necessarily but he was he took a diminished role he shot threes a lot more he passed a lot more and he he deferred to younger stars who played better than him right yeah. and he Pierce was a good did that Vin, room vince too. carter did that like yeah you know there, there are a lot of examples of, of players who have you know, manage to to basically accept uh, what their reality is and to adapt accordingly. Mm-hmm. And those are success stories. You know, that's what Melo needs to do if he wants to extend his career. And, you know, that's going to involve sacrifice and compromise on his part. And, and the fact that after all of this, after basically getting salary dumped. <laughs> after being benched in playoff games for Jeremy Grant. Right. Like, I, I like Jeremy Grant. Come on, man. When they needed offense, they benched Carmelo for Jeremy Grant. That's how bad it got. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that all of that is happening, he's still, you know, not really willing to come to grips with it is a little bit alarming, I think. Yeah. And, like, like, man, I just, it, it's just, honestly, like, it's just, it's kind of shocking. It's, re- it's, I don't think anyone likes to see stars struggle like this, right? Because I think great players should be afforded opportunities to be great. And it's, like, the biggest waste in any sport really when an, an athlete isn't provided that chance but it's like it's mellow sort of keeping himself from that chance right because like if you look at last season where he really went wrong was on defense which you know he's never really played defense in his career you're not really going to expect a 34 year old to suddenly be a great defender but 
on offense, he was really inefficient on those like long twos, pull up shots where he gets to dribble, look at the defense. He can't drive past the finish anymore. Right? He, he really scored really poorly around the basket. So he's not getting fouled. He's not driving to the rim. And so he's just taking that jab step jumper, but he's not effective on those. Where he was effective still, when you look at the numbers, catch and shoot threes, 38%. Like, any team would take that, right? Like, that's that's a good efficient, that's a good number. And he was taking, like, four of those a game. And so if he can just kind of maximize that part of his career, he doesn't have to become Kyle Korver. But, you know, when he's in that starting lineup, and chances are pretty good he's still going to start in Houston, right, because they lost Trevor. But... You know, when he's in that starting lineup, he has to be that spot-up guy. And if he, you know what? If he plays with the bench, then he can maybe do more mellow stuff. But realistically, like, even at that point, like, I, I still don't think that's that effective, right? So he really just needs to, like, transition and accept the better thing. Because if he screws this opportunity up again, like, his legacy is set. He's a selfish guy that he couldn't give up anything, right? Yeah. He couldn't give up any salary for a better situation. He couldn't give up any part of the spotlight to have better teammates. And now he can't even give up minutes and shots to, you know, potentially win big with the, with the team. Like, the Rockets, like, they don't have to win the title for him to become vindicated. But even if he just has a great season and humbles himself, he changes the narrative about himself entirely, right? Then it becomes when he was younger, you know, he was more prideful, and now he's trying to win. And you, you can sympathize with that. No one blames Vince Carter for not having a ring. Right, but you know, Melo, if he could, if he keeps going like this, you know, yeah, I mean, he's got to be willing to play a lot of four for one thing, you yeah. know, which he's been reluctant to do in the past. He's got to be way better about moving without the ball. Um, I remember like a bunch of instances early last season when, like, they would try and free him up off ball. Andre Robertson would come up and and set like really good back screens for him, and Melo would like wave them off so that he could post somebody up twenty feet from the basket. And eventually, people just stopped trying to screen for him off ball because he you know wasn't going to use those screens like he he needs to be adaptable more than anything and at the defensive end I don't know that there's anything he can do at this point to make himself a better defender he's just a little bit too slow of foot um and teams are going to exploit him and and that's going to be an issue you know they're going to have to find ways to hide him and more than anything like I, I still think that he can be a very capable offensive player but more than anything like the the defensive limitations are what is going to cap his playing time and his role I think in Houston but, you know, given what they did lose, given that they lost Trevor Ariza, they lost Luke Richard and Bamute, like they are going to need him, uh, you know, to play, you know, reasonably heavy minutes in the front court. So it's just a question of, of what he's able to make of those minutes and whether he's willing to adapt his game to, you know, the player that he is now and the player that the Rockets need. Yeah. All right. Last thing before we go to break and uh, go to our special guest. Uh, I really wanted to talk about this thing about David Fisdale going all the way to Latvia to make nice with Chris Tapps. Um, I just think that, like, look, I, I don't want to be optimistic about the Knicks, okay? I, I know James Dolan is still there. He's not selling this team. He's not. There was that r- little report that he was going to sell it. No, he's not selling that team. And he shouldn't. It's a moneymaker forever. Um, but I'm starting to get a little. I like what the Knicks are doing, right? If you look at the bigger picture. So they clearly want to make a move in 2019. They're they're almost doing the Lakers thing of like hinting at it, and they're they're not going on Jimmy Kimmel and saying like we want Paul George, you know, and catching a fine that eventually went for nothing. Um, but you know they've done a great job of keeping their salary cap, a lot of one year deals, keeping their flexibility, not trading any picks, um, hiring a player friendly coach like Fizdale, who's now going to Latvia to get on the same page with Chris Tapps, which is great because Chris Tapps has had a pretty rough time in three years in New York and you know you want to be able to establish you know trust and clarity and everything like that 
and also their management has been pretty solid. Like, you know, like when you see um, the Knicks GMs like out in medias and stuff like that, it, it, it looks good. And like, I think whether or not the Knicks can actually get some free agents, who knows? I mean, we've seen the Knicks try to make this play before and they ended up with Amari Stoudemire, um, who was good for half a year and nothing else. But I don't know, man. The Knicks are making some good moves. The Knicks, like, the bar for them is really low, I guess is what I'm saying. And they're actually making sensible moves. And I love the fact that Fizdale is making this effort to go out there because, like, of course, if, you need, if you're going to do anything in New York, you need Chris Tapps to buy in. And this is a great step. For sure. And I think... You know, if you're talking about great moves, like the best moves that they've made so far this offseason are the ones that they haven't made. You know, mm-hmm. unlike seasons past, they, you know, if they're going after a particular free agent um, and they miss, they're not going out there and giving that kind of big money to players. Joe Team you know, Noah, Derek yeah, Rose, you know, to, to these team. sort of like waning superstars and, and just totally misreading the market the way that they've done in the past. They're not saddling themselves with these bad long-term deals. Um, so they are going to have a lot of cap space next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll have a lot more the year after that when Noah's contract comes off the books. So, Or they, they can even move it at that point, right? If it's only one year left, like maybe you, you trade it into a team that has cap room. Maybe. I mean, look, if they think that they have a chance to get two yeah. max or near max guys, then definitely that's worth it at that point. They're looking if, at Butler and Kyrie. But that could go that could go bad, you know, because if, if, if look, they're obviously going to have to attach a first round pick, if not more, to get off of Noah's contract. Okay, yeah. So, I, I don't think that that would necessarily be the right approach, right? Um, because again, like if you don't get the free agents you think you're going to get, then suddenly you're out of first round pick, and that's kind of how they got into this hellhole in the first place. So. I would just wait it out if I was them, honestly, because, again, they are going to have room for probably one max slot next summer. And that's enough to start turning things around because if Chris Daps is coming back fully healthy and being the player that we saw before he got injured last year, um, you know, you have a guy like Kevin Knox who's coming up who could be a part of, like, a really solid three-man core. The hype um, around him and Mitchell Robinson is There's, is, there's is a lot palpable. of hype, man. And, look, I, I like Frank Nilakina. Um, he, sure. he has already proven himself to be a really, really good defender. Um, yeah. He might never be an above-average offensive player, but if you he know, he become Marcus Smart. That's not bad. He could become Marcus Smart. He could become Patrick Beverly. Uh, you know, a player like that who can at least shoot threes um, because he shot he shot okay from three last right. year. Um, he just hasn't shown really any kind of like pick and roll chops. Um, he's still super young too. Yeah, he's very very young, um, and you know we don't really know what his game is going to look like a few years from now. But we already know that he has, I think, a pretty high floor as uh, an excellent. Um, you know, backcourt defender. I think he can guard one or two very capably. So they're building something from the ground up, which is something they haven't done in so, so long. And I think they're creating an environment where, you know, another superstar might look at that situation and think of it as a good situation to go and join. Right. And and even optically, something like Fisdale flying out to Latvia to basically mend fences with a disgruntled star is a good look. It's way better than when... Remember when they had that the Phil Jackson on this like, um, like it honestly looked like he was getting kidnapped or something. It looked like a hostage video, and they were like, um, "Phil, like, uh, what are these reports about you trading Chris Tapps? He's like, "Oh, we, we can't rule anything out at this point." Like, it's like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you doing?" And this is a way better. I, I agree completely. Like, they're making the right moves, and whether they come up short or not, like, this is the kind of style of management that New York needs. And um, if New York, like as a city, can remain patient and sort of. Um, manage expectations, which obviously is an issue with Knicks fans most of the time. But like, if they can do that, 
and basically keep things where they are right now um, going into next year, then they will have a decent chance at getting someone. Because, like, man, New York is kind of a sleeping giant, right? It, if it wasn't for James Dolan and all this dysfunction, New York would be a hot destination. There's just no one goes there because they've been such a mess over the years. And uh, um, All right, we're going to go to break and, um, you know, come back with our special guest. But before we do that, please, uh, a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, Pound the Rock iTunes, you know, write those reviews. They're very nice to read. Um, and we, we've, already, we've already gotten a lot of them, but uh, we can never get enough. So anyway, we're going to go to break and we're going to come back with the Junkyard Dog. Welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Still here with Wolfond and... Um, we have a special guest. <laughs> Junkyard dog. Get them baby. red levels on there, Joe. Get them red levels. What's up? How welcome, you doing? Welcome back to the city. Thanks, sir. I appreciate you. Brought the warm weather with you? Brought the warm. It's, it's hot outside. Yeah. Man. It's hot. We're going to talk about those Toronto misconceptions. You know, it could be hot here. <laughs> we the north. Yeah. Sweaty and hot. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so you, you're back here for, uh, for Big Three which is um, three-on-three basketball league. Started up last year. You played last year. You're not playing this year. Um, you've taken on more of like a uh, – you're, you're uh, a member of the board, and um, you, uh, you've you taken on this initiative. Uh, Got me youth. behind the scenes, man. I'm like right. pushing numbers and – you're a mover Checking and a ratings and doing marketing. Jeez. Come on now. They make the executive work. You look like you can still play, though. I well, yeah, see, I, I made sure before uh-huh. I stepped into the booth, I showed these young fellas, look, I'm still hanging on the rim, right. still bringing rims down, and I make the rims fear me uh-huh. when I walk into arenas. That's, that's the best part about Dog Pound. And then now we're here in Toronto, they're lucky. They are lucky I'm not suiting up for Team Power tonight. Well, you know, it's too bad. I feel like, you know, they're, not that there won't be enthusiasm when they see you in the arena, but, uh, but if you put the jersey on, I think uh, there would have been a, a lot of electricity in the air when uh, when those games tipped off but um why don't you talk a little bit about um like kind of what you're doing with with young three how it feels to be back in toronto yeah. and um and what big three is all about well you know what um it's first and foremost always great to be back in the city um you know home away from home shout out to all my dog pound members out there you know in toronto and montreal and halifax and oh. uh nova scotia and you know, let's let's give a shout out to, of course, Calgary, Vancouver, Haida Gwaii, you know, <laughs> Newfoundland. Oh, Some I'm towns deep. that are going to be cheap about being left off of this I'm list. I'm deep out here. Yeah, yeah. Saskatchewan getting a... Uh, no, Saskatchewan. Yeah. I, was, I was up in Sas- Sasquatch Town. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was up there last year, last summer. Um, love the river up there. Love the river. It's just beautiful. But anyways, so moving back. Uh, yeah, Young Three. Young Three is uh, our youth initiative for Big Three. It's been uh, a movement that Ice Cube approached me with um, at the end of the season last year, um, really wanting to really make a a lasting, impactful mark on the communities that we serve and we play in. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, all the veterans and Hall of Famers that are part of Big Three have a huge fan base. So we didn't want this to be your typical just – you know, photo ops and, you know, community perspective. This is something that they uh, really wanted me to head up from top to bottom. 
um, to really make it uh, authentic and something that I wanted to do. So with that being said, it's dog pound. I mean, we got the block party going on. We have food trucks. We got DJs, video games. You don't have to be a basketball player to come out and enjoy it. Um, you know, because in like five of the other cities, I mean, Adidas is doing it up big. Mm-hmm. And we're doing, you know, obviously the Shooting for Peace Clinic uh, for kids, all age groups, to really come out and experience uh, basketball, you know, whether it be for the first time or, you know, if you're doing it, you've been doing it for a while. We're there handling that aspect of that. And then on um, on the other the other aspect of it is the tournament. So three-on-three basketball is now an Olympic sport come 2020. Right. So we wanted to make sure that they got the experience of playing, earning gold medals, because they get trophies and medals at our three-on-three tournaments. And then lastly but not least, uh, we're f- refurbishing courts in uh, eight of the ten cities where – we're leaving a, a big three Adidas-branded court where kids can play. So we're reaching about 30,000 kids and uh, people in these communities um, which each, with each court that we produce, as well as EverFi uh, putting you know, edu- digital education in the, in the school system. So we're in 11 schools here in Toronto with digital education. So a well-rounded, you know, we say young three, we're talking about this serious business. It's a dog pound love. Yo, that's why that's why they love you out here still. You know, you're always trying to give back to the community. And, um, you know, these these initiatives are, you know, let's be real, more important than actual the actual basketball on the floor, I think. But, um, um, you know, in terms of just your love for the city of Toronto, right? Like, you know, you kind of played here a short time, but it feels like, you know, you you were here forever. Like, you, like what, 2015, when they had that year of 20th, Anniversary, you know, they honored you. They gave you the jacket, huge ovation, and everything like that. Um, like, what are some of your favorite memories of just being here in Toronto, uh, playing here, and the fan base and the reaction that? Because you were here during like the peak, peak years of Vince. Well, I'm gonna take you back to Game Six, fourth quarter, mm. Philly at home here in ACC. Okay, like six minutes left to go in the game, Mount Matumbo. Meets the junkyard dog, Airborne. Mm. Okay. And this is a Georgetown alumni who always talks trash during the summer. Jerome, you will never dunk on Mount Matumbo. <laughs> and he goes down like Woo. Muhammad Ali and Frazier. Down goes Frazier in the fourth quarter. That was one of my best memories. Uh, shout out to Dikembe Mutombo, two-time defensive player of the year. Yeah, it takes a lot to take him out, but uh, I got him. I think it was four time. And it, four time? I think Man, so. It's, look, is there a video at of least that on YouTube two. that we I can thread to? I think Alonzo was two time. Huh? Alonzo Morning. Another, yeah. another alumni. Is this video on YouTube? Can we find oh, it's it? on. Yeah, you can find it, man. Right. Google that. Mm. That's right. I remember um, it. I was at, uh, I was like 13 years old. I was at game three of that series when Vince dropped 50, and that was insane. That was like, for me, the, probably the greatest live sporting event that I've ever witnessed. That was, that was awesome. That was awesome. Was he insane. came out on five. Like, he hit like five threes. Oh, to start the game. Mm. I was like, that's when you know you're in trouble because he's going to know you're in trouble because he he hasn't even started going to the basket. I think he hit eight in the first half. Yeah. It was nuts. Um, It was nuts. But yeah, I think, you know, look, the the franchise was what, like four, five years old at that point in time. It was, it was still super young. So, I mean, obviously we all now recognize the importance of Vince and, and what he meant to 
the city to the Raptors franchise right. and basketball in Canada as a whole. And I think you're you're seeing that a lot now with all these kind of Canadian players coming up through the system. And I think you know the future of Canada basketball is very, very bright. Yeah. But I do feel like there's still this perception in the NBA of like, we're a little bit alien, you know, this idea of Toronto being in a different country and they treat it like it's like Siberia, you know, not like a, you know, a cosmopolitan gigantic city um, where, you know, the fan base is wholly invested and there's a ton of culture to experience. Um, what, what was your experience like playing and living here? And, and why do you think that that stigma still sort of seems to persist? Well, you know what? I think that that stigma is kind of dwindling a little bit. I mean, with the with the influence of Carabana, you guys are more well known than you think. That's uh-uh. true. Because uh, a lot of people in the states that I know, that's all they talk about. They talk about the it being the Miami of the North in a lot of respects, which is a good thing. Okay. For 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 <laughs> for Canada, um, but not to mention uh, when I was here, there was just um, a new culture. You had the facilities. Um, that was very big uh, here in Toronto um, because a lot of uh, franchises were just starting to have facilities in the arena, um, which which is which was big, and you know that was part of like learning, you know the city itself. And I love the fact that the fans were just tremendous here. I mean, the dog pound was loud mm. and proud. And now it's graduated to Jurassic Park. I mean, come on. What free agent doesn't want to look out there and see that sea of people with posters and people holding up their jersey and waving it in the crowd? Like, that's that's big time. I mean, I, I go to Jurassic Park, and I still see junkyard dog jerseys. This is crazy. I mean, I love it. i like, man, I, I I might mess around, go out there, and give the Raptors five to ten minutes Yo. of helter-skelter. Yo, we could, we could still Bring use power forward help, back. man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. Might have been better than Tyler Hansbro in like the 2015 playoffs uh, for, for the brief run. Might, that he might got have there. been, might yeah. have been, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this has kind of come up now because the Raptors just traded for Kawhi, and there's all this talk. Obviously, you know, a lot of time and a lot of stuff's going to happen between now and his free agency in a year. But people are already starting to talk about whether this is the kind of place that he would want to stay long term, and. He's got a sight set on L.A., as so many free agents seem to. The Raptors historically, you know, don't have a great retention rate of superstar players, although that has started to change. They don't really get meetings with marquee free agents, so. Um, they signed Hito, though. They, yeah, they signed Hito. They did sign Hito. And he ate pizza pizza. <laughs> Shout out to the Turk. But, uh, you know, so everybody's kind of talking about it again. Like, is the perception really changing or – or, you know, is this kind of going to continue to be this place that's looked at as being a bit of an outpost and and a stopover for, for star players? So- well, one thing I have to put out there, Joe, is that um, I've been saying this uh, before. What is Toronto known for first? I mean, for me, it's, it's culture. Like, that's... Sports-wise. Sports-wise, hockey. There you go. Yeah. So, if you're known for hockey... And free agents come to the ACC. What's the first thing they do? They look up, man. They look up in the Raptors and they say, "Where are the ballers at? Mm. Where are the guys that I want to be in this city?" Like, because you see yourself, right? When you go to a franchise, do you want to be a part of that franchise? What do you want to do? So I go to Portland. Okay, 
Yeah. Look up in the Raptors. There's jerseys. Go to Milwaukee. Jerseys. You know, go to Denver. Jerseys. Like, you, you, you got to, you know, and these, these are franchises. I mean, are, you know, those, those big-time franchises, you know. Mm. I mean, some of them, do they have championships? No. Well, but they have people up in the Raptors that have, you know, that they respect and say they were important enough to our city that we put them up there to be amongst the greats. That's when you become a basketball town Mm. because you recognize somebody or some group or anybody because now, you, you know, as a basketball player, when we go to those other cities, you know, when you say, why didn't LeBron want to come? Well, LeBron went to somewhere where he sees magic, <laughs> yep. you know, yep. That's fair. Right. players and, 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 you know, up in the Raptors saying to himself, well, I think I'll add to this legacy, you know. When but on the other hand, it's like, and this is something DeMar was just talking about when he, he did this, this sit-down interview with ESPN. He was saying that was part of the reason he wanted to play in Toronto. You know, he wanted to be that guy who – was the first jersey up in the Raptors, you know, and and created a legacy where there hadn't really been somebody who'd done that before. So I guess it depends on how you look at it, right? But um, what do you think? I mean, would you... No, that is how I look at it, you know, because that's the way it is. If you want to hear about basketball culture, that's Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) You got to create the basketball culture first. Well, you create it and you stand behind it. That's true. You know, if you're standing behind hockey, that's great, you know, but... You know, if you're selling basketball tickets, mm. well, that's, you know, you have to figure out how that works. There's kind of a disconnect, though, because there's like, like, as you mentioned, like the Raptors fan base is like quite healthy. And there's a lot of quite support, healthy. right? And you're seeing it every summer. Like, I mean, sometimes that can be a deterrent, though. Oh, because, really? Well, I'm just saying because you can always sell tickets. Right. Right. You can always sell tickets and good franchises do that. Um, Chicago sells tickets even when they have bad teams. Yeah. New York, they sell tickets even when they have bad they teams. They only have bad teams in New York. Right. <laughs> so there's teams that can do it. And Toronto uh, fits into the category of they will sell tickets no matter what because of great fans. Now, to move into the championship-type places, mm-hmm. into those different arenas, there's a different culture that also has to come with those selling tickets. Tickets is one part of it. You also need legacy, history. Um, what do you stand for? You know, what have your team stand, stood for in the past? Who you like? Yeah. Who you don't like? We already know who you don't like. <laughs> oh, man. So there it is, brothers. Right. Well, the I mean, round table, the dog pound. <laughs> would, you, would you put Vince's jersey up there in the Raptors? I would probably put Vince's jersey up there. Yeah, they got to stop letting other players wear Vince's jersey. Anthony Bennett came here and wore number fifteen, which is you know, I mean, all respect to Anthony Bennett, but come on. I mean, man. he's your he's your anchor of being the person that has put Toronto on the map. Now, did they part ways, you know, in, in the right way? No, yeah. but was he young? Yes. Did he probably make the wrong decisions? Yes. Did he also acknowledge that fact? Yes, he did. Um, and you know, DeMar was moving into that category of taking over. And I think that, you know, being the all time leading scorer, you know, a guy that got drafted and and done has always done right by the city. You would have definitely put him in that category. Now, does DeMar want to come back and do that? Well, you might want to have to talk to him in another 10 to 15 years. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, it's not right now. he's, He's not too happy. 
he's still raw right now. I mean, what what do you what do you think about that trade? Just in terms of uh, from a basketball standpoint, well, like okay, so from a basketball perspective, yeah. Now everybody knows I was loved in the city. Everybody knows that the furthest thing I would have ever wanted to do has been traded from the Raptors. Yeah, I got a call from owner and the general manager mm. of the Raptors prior to me being traded giving me scenario after scenario after scenario a plan a a plan b if we do trade you this is how we want to get you back there there was a plan there was discussion there was you know can you help us jyd wasn't hey you know we don't know what's going on it was you know i mean i mean i don't i don't know what was exactly said but i i can just tell you my situation so it was on both sides, I felt like I was covered. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always wanted to come back to Toronto. See? That, that, I mean, that, and that's why I still continue to come back. Yep. Because they, even when they had to make business decisions, I was a part of that decision. Right. So, so you got to be included. I was included. Okay. I can't, I was included. I was there. I was, <laughs> I was part of the conversation. It wasn't something I wanted, but it wasn't also it wasn't something that the organization wanted. They just had to do it for business. All right, so let me ask you something else, Ben, because sure. after it came out, you know, Demar said what he said about feeling like he was kept in the dark or he was lied to. Um, you know, uh, there were a couple of players who came out and said that this was going to kind of tarnish the reputation of the franchise. Other free agents might be looking at it, thinking that this is a disloyal organization that isn't going to do right by its players. You think they're is credence to that? Do you think players pay attention to that and kind of keep it in the back of their minds? Yeah, well, as long as uh, Masai is at the helm, absolutely, because that's a decision that he made. Um, you know, maybe he has other plans to, you know, make other further moves. You never know. But you have to, you know, judge the character and the book by what they do. Um, you know, Glenn Grumwald. He was building, you know, the organization of the Raptors a certain way. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, signed a large amount of free agents and and guys, even Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it was. <laughs> it was the end of Hakeem, but. It was the end, but it was still, still Hakeem. Still, it yeah. was still, hey, yeah. it was still Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah. And he did average, I don't know how many blocks that year. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, still top five in the league in block shots that year. So, um Regardless, so you, you're you're looking at everyone's legacy basically. So in terms of a franchise, you know, just like um, down in Philly mm-hmm. with uh, Brian Colangelo, right? You know, that was a serious thing with Joel Embiid and yeah, that was that was his different. wife and yeah. Ben Simmons. I mean, that's but the minute you know you erase Brian Colangelo, everybody's like, oh, Philadelphia is fine again. Yeah. Because, you know, it was his decision, not the franchise, not, you know, so I don't think it tarnishes uh, Toronto because, you know, potentially Masai could get out of it, right? Team wins, fans forget. Yeah. They're saying, hey, great job. Who, you know, sorry we doubted you. I mean, it, it could go both ways. Yeah, plus, I mean, Kawhi's not a bad guy to come back. I mean, if Kawhi gets Kawhi, back to being healthy, I mean, that's Kawhi's he doesn't a, say Kawhi's anything. Kawhi's a good but he's player, good. so you can't, you yeah. know, you're just not saying you got a bag of bolts. 
Now, based on him playing five, six, seven, nine yeah. games last year, that sounds like a bag of bolts. If he does that again, he then, does that. Mm, that's oh, an issue. Oh man, shoot! It, there's gonna be some. There's gonna be a dark cloud, you know, circling for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, thankfully the. The franchise, they got a, b- a bunch of young pieces, I think, who, who can hopefully carry them forward, even if he leaves. Um, I don't know. What do you think about the, the stable of, of young guys that the Raptors have? Is there anyone who jumps out at you as being particularly exciting? Oh, man, I love Portal. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That kid. He was play. nice. He's nice. He's got good hands. He's quick. He was quick, man. I mean, yeah. he, 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 you know, for the mobile big, you know, step out, shoot threes, um, can defend, they can score. I mean, I, I liked, um, you know, Sockham. Yeah, I Siakam, think yeah. I think he's got a lot of length. I like his length, um, his uh, rebounding got, skills, his defense. He's a little bit like you. A little like me. I don't want to. I want to give out the the junkyard dog nickname little, again because the last yeah. time the Raptors did that, it was oh, not yeah, good. But kind of yeah, they yeah. kind of just threw it threw it out there, yeah. and not, not really understanding the depth. I don't think people of agree the with dog that pound, the no depth one. of what situations bring. When you give out that name, so did, yeah, it did Demari reach out to you to be like, he ask did. if it was cool? He did. He did reach okay. out. He did reach okay. out. He did do the amicable thing. That's good. That's good. But then he didn't come through in the clutch. No, he he did not. He, you know, ran the brand of Brooklyn, but well, I get it. extenuating circumstance. You know, he had he had some injury issues, and uh, it was too bad because yeah, I, dog, I was pound, really... dog pound doesn't take injury now. No. You expect <laughs> that's true. They expect you to tape it up, duct tape. <laughs> it's still being sold in all the stores. <laughs> throughout Toronto, you know, you need to go to, you know, he needs to go to Tire. You know, Bell Tires is still out there. That's mm. uh, so a word to to whoever else wants to brand themselves as JYD 3.0 that they yeah. got to play through it. Yeah, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. But, yeah, yeah Siakam's he's an interesting prospect. I really thought that he would be uh, involved if, if the Raptors did pull off something like uh, Kawhi. But, uh, you know, he's going to be here. The Raptors are going to be a, a young team, pretty defensively Van oriented. Van Vliet's nice. I like him, man. I yeah. like him. He's tough. He's small. He's tough. A little juggernaut down there. I think, you know, um, if he hadn't exited the playoffs early, too, that would have probably changed some things, some landscapes. That's true. Against Cleveland. I really see that because, you know, he was a big piece. Yeah. I mean, he had that shoulder injury, like, on game 82 of the season. And right. And kind of affected him going into the playoffs. Um, and then finally, I mean, just circling back to the big three here, um, you know, like, where do you see, like, the future of this league? Like, I think it's already very promising year one and two, you know. Um, the type of players you guys are bringing out is is phenomenal. But, I mean, um, big three is here to stay. It's here I to mean, stay. first and foremost, I mean, Ice Cube, shout out to him, Jeff Quatton is there. What they put together is just phenomenal. You know, North America needed three-on-three basketball. Play prof- they're playing professional basketball uh, in in – countries overseas china europe Mm -hmm. um you know africa you know the middle east these these things are going down so for the united states and north america not to have professional three on three Mm -hmm. is a bad thing now we come on the scene with big three big three has the best players to play the game playing three on three basketball it's made for tv we got trash talking we got ice cube as the owner who's an icon and you have some of the best players who ever played the game out here with Hall of Famers as coaches. Yep. It's crazy. It's a players league. He actually put it together with players. Yep. Um, you know, like myself and Greater. So, I mean, it's it's awesome brand of basketball. The four point shot, I, I explain to people like this, you know, Jerry West and the Iceman, George Gervin. 
you know, where was the three-point line, right? And when they were playing, had they had played with a three-point line, mm-hmm. those two guys, what would their stats be today? Be you crazy. Know? They'd be all. They'd be top ten scoring. Top easy. ten. I mean, just ridiculous, right? So, Ice Cube introduces the four-point circle, and everybody's like, "Well, why would you do that?" Well, the same reason why you did the three-point line. You're shooting from thirty feet. Yeah. Can you do it or can't you? And matter of fact, what's the stats on your percentages? Yeah. You know, if you're highly skilled, but, and then we look back and we fast forward the tape from now and say, oh, NBA, if you had introduced a four point circle, what would Steph Curry's averages be? What would Kevin Durant, James Hart, what would these guys be averaging now if they had a four point circle? So it's like he's on to something. Yeah. Because, I mean, Mahmoud, he's 50 years old. Yeah. The guy is a machine still out here cooking them. Baron Davis, yep. step back four pointers, step back. I mean, crick. He's heavy. mean. Huh, huh, yeah. huh. I saw Jamario hit like a game winning four pointer last week. It, and listen, and call bank. Woo. <laughs> wow. Say glass me. Let's go. I call game. That's what Big Three is all about. I mean, That's it's true. exciting basketball. It's fun. I mean, the fans get four games in one night. Where are you going to get? Four game ticket for one price. Yeah, and I know, and I and I have to shout out, you know, because I know there's a lot of Canadians listening, right? So we're not airing in Canada, supposedly, because we know a lot of Canadians have Fox and FS1. So make sure you're tuning into it come Friday night. Get those satellites out the back porch <laughs> and point them towards yeah. get those illegal streams going. The east. No, no, we don't support that. We won't. No, no, no. Best yeah, just come out to the ACC. Just, yeah, that's right. Oh, they're already going to be there, but it's, it's already going to be sold out. We already know. Make sure you're there to buy your tickets at the ACC or before. You know, there's still a couple of tickets available. Dog Pound left you a stash at the gate one. So let's go. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to be there Friday night. Um, definitely encourage everybody else listening to to come out and check it out. And uh, really looking forward to it, man. Absolutely. And let them know, man. I'm I'm be signing autographs. So make sure you bring your Dog Pound jerseys, your, your JYD Toronto Raptor jersey, your posters, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Make sure you stay tuned during the, during the timeouts because it's going to be a it's going to be quick and fast and frenzy. So make sure you get to that line quick because, you know, Dog Pound's only going to be there for a little bit. Now I have the mascot in the stands, too. JYD Lucky, he's going to be out there barking up a storm, throwing out T-shirts, kissing babies, you know, doing Gee. what he does. Hopefully you get a shot with Ice Cube. All right. There yeah. you go. You heard it from the man himself. All right. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on Pound the Rock, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you another time. There it is, at Junkyard Dog JW. Twitter and Instagram. Get on it. Young3Basketball, young3.org. Let's go.